Welcome. I'm here with David and Ben from Acquired. And we're going to try to turn the tables on them a little bit and ask them some questions. I have some questions prepared to kick it off. A few folks have sent me questions, which is great. Before we start, A, thank you. B, where did you get those shoes? <laughs> and where can we get a pair? <laughs> yeah. So for folks who can't see the video, I have my llama shoes on, my official all-hand shoes. Ben, you want to briefly introduce yourself? Sure thing. Hey, everyone. I'm Ben Gilbert. I'm uh, one half of the Acquired podcast, background in engineering, product management, today a general partner at Pioneer Square Labs in Seattle, writing seed stage investments, and have a burgeoning podcasting seven-year bootstrap project turn media empire. <laughs> and I'm David Rosenthal. I'm the other half of the burgeoning media empire. I feel a special like internet kinship with Christina because I too started in early career as an associate at a venture capital firm and never intended to be a founder. Are we founders? I don't know You're what we are. Founders. But we're yeah. we're something that's not that, just like you. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well maybe to start a little bit of softball, but what's your founding story? I tried to listen to your first episodes. I tried to do my research I'm not nearly as good as y'all. We'll get to that in a moment. But it sounded like you went out for drinks at some point. All good podcasts are started over beer. Yes. That's a line. You're thinking about like what makes some acquisitions work, some don't. Somehow decided to start a podcast late 2015, but like, what was that actually like? What happened? It's funny. The first episode came out in October of 2015, but when we went out for drinks was February. And so like, I think all good creative ideas, it's it needs some amount of like activation energy to get over the hump of the default state of doing things, which is nothing. So you have to remember, this is before every millennial had a podcast. So now there's over like two and a half million podcasts. I think at that point, there were about 100,000 podcasts, like all other internet media forms are super long tail distributed. So as weird as it is to say, there weren't that many good podcasts, which is certainly not a problem now. We had been fans of the medium for a long time. I listened to like a lot of very nerdy Apple podcasts. The talk show with John Gruber was one I'd listened to for six, seven years already at that point. And I pitched David on two different ideas, one of which was acquired and the other of which was... What was the other one? It was... We didn't know how to title it, but it was companies that successfully created $2 billion innovations. And my postulate was like, there aren't that many. So let's do a podcast trying to highlight the ones that did. And you were like, well, I hate that idea because we will very quickly run out of episodes. <laughs> well, that was a problem with the original vision for Acquired too, which was, we're going to do a podcast about technology acquisitions that went, you know, really well. And uh, we got through <laughs> like seven. And uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, but you know, you start small. <laughs> Yeah, for folks that don't listen now, it's also IPOs and company stories. So, you know, Swift. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> to that point, like kind of like the best startups, you all like had your market, your decimal market, and you just expanded over time, right? So from acquisitions to companies to corporate analysis to pop stars. Did y'all think about that as it was happening? Like how conscious was that? Super conscious and we were really nervous about becoming bland. I think like the natural state of companies and media properties, in my opinion, is they overgrow their mandate and lose sight of the job to be done with their customers. And I thought the thing that made Acquired good and cool originally was like, we have this very specific format for evaluating acquisitions. And like, we stick to it. And we're not the people that like randomly also have interviews and this, that and the other thing. And I think like it took really actually you starting the Slack community, David, and like us aggressively surveying our audience to realize the job to be done with our listeners wasn't 
formulaic help them formulaically understand acquisitions. It was tell the stories of great businesses, how they came to be and analyze their strategy. And like one implementation of that is the format that we currently have, but like there could be others. And so I think it was like understanding what our audience, why they trusted us with their time. How did you do that? My recollection of how this kind of happened is conversations with our audience for sure helped inform but but mostly it was just like our own thoughts as we went along and being like is this still interesting what would be interesting to us and just sort of trusting our gut on that like we started like doing a couple little like the slack community was like oh the slack was like brand new <laughs> this is how old we are <laughs> and we were like this would be fun what if we just launch a free slack and tell everybody to join and see what happens and then that worked really well and then we were like, well, what if we do IPOs and like add that? That doesn't seem like too much of an expansion. And then we just kind of kept dreaming bigger and bigger. And I think one of the things that that we learned from that, and then we got a bunch of reinforcing feedback from the audience was like, look, if you guys are interested in something, we feel that as listeners. If you're not interested in something, we also feel that. And so that kind of gave us a lot more confidence to do Taylor Swift and pop stars and you know, what have you. I think the risk in creating a product for yourself is that it's a small market. So like, we were fortunate that like, this is a little bootstrap thing we were doing, not some big venture scale business. And so we felt no pressure or mandate to make sure that we like created the largest possible addressable opportunity. And it was coincidental and fortunate that by chasing our own like, problem to solve or things we were curious in about that happened to be a large enough market in particular because the people that we then attracted it's like the bezosian you get the shareholders that you you ask for like we're super smart founders and people at tech companies and hedge fund managers and university endowment Fantons. people <laughs> phantoms yeah so I, I think there was like a there's like a core tenant that we have that's treat the audience as smart and as long as you do that good things will continue to happen you call it a little bootstrap business. You don't have to give numbers, but just for folks who maybe are not me, what's the sense of size, scale, if you're burgeoning empire? 250,000 subscribers across a bunch of different podcast platforms. Every episode gets about 100,000 downloads in the first three months. What's kind of cool about that is that's doubled every year for seven years <laughs> you know in the early days it was like well we started the first year what do we have like i don't know a thousand two thousand people would listen to every episode but you, and but you grow you double that for seven, for seven years seven and years. you're like shoot i've got like more people than could fit in the biggest sports stadium in the world are listening to our audience and they're just like wow <laughs> and by growing reasonably slowly it is a curated group that's the other thing reasonably it's slowly like, <laughs> but it, but it really is like it feels slow in the moment. It doesn't feel like being here at Vanta where like there's a zillion new people joining in every all hands. I'm sure we could like look at the Slack analytics and it would look like that in the community, but it doesn't it doesn't feel like any episode is like meaningfully bigger than our next highest episode. To your specific question, this was not a business at all for three, three and a half years. years, three years. Like literally zero revenue. We were it was super just like reluctant dude. on sponsorships. Like we were hardcore no sponsorships. Yep. We uh, they make podcasts. We bad. formed a Washington State LLC like a couple years in, just as like we should probably do that. And then over the past few years, revenue has been kind of ramping on that same curve to the point where, like for me at least, it's now being founder, co-host, whatever of acquired is like 
that's what I do. <laughs> former venture capitalist. Former venture now capitalist. Podcast host. Yeah. Former venture capitalist is the best title. Well, listeners, this is the perfect opportunity to introduce a new sponsor here on ACQ2, Quarter. Their new product, Quarter Pro, launched about a year ago and is already adopted by several Fortune 500 companies and some of the world's largest hedge funds and equity research departments. Yeah, this research platform is transforming the way qualitative public market research is conducted. Here's how Quarter Pro works. You can get every piece of first-party information from public companies all in one single place. That's live earnings calls with real-time transcripts, company filings, slide decks, and more. Quarter Pro has built a world-class user interface for this. Yep. Let's say you're an investor or a podcaster, and you've got the use case where you need to look up a company such as Novo Nordisk, Hermes, or Visa. You can open their platform and search Guidance or Market Outlook. Quarter Pro then immediately identifies all instances where a company has historically mentioned and discussed these topics in all of their IR-related communications. Or here's another pretty crazy thing they've done that's difficult to get anywhere else. You can actually search through literally every individual slide in Quarter's database, covering 9,000 public companies and millions of slides for any keyword mention based on Quarter's AI capabilities. This truly makes it easier than ever to conduct qualitative analysis of entire industry value chains and specific companies. So whether you're an equity research analyst, an asset manager, or an investor relations professional, this platform will help you increase your productivity through their live call, transcript components, AI-powered summaries, and a feature along allowing you to visualize the entire timeline and changes of specific slides throughout quarters. Quarter also offers their database as an API solution. This enables other companies such as trading and research platforms, as well as AI and LLM companies to build custom solutions and integrate this database into their offerings or add functionality on top of the data. Yep. To find out why leading companies globally are choosing Quarter Pro in their day-to-day work and to experience the platform firsthand, request a personal demo by visiting quarter.com slash acquired. That's Q-U-A-R-T-R, no E, Q-U-A-R-T-R dot com slash acquired. Or click the link in the show notes to get the personal demo from the Quarter team. Our thanks to Quarter. Awesome. So we have a question, actually, of an employee named Utsaf who's on the call. He runs a podcast called Software at Scale. He interviews engineering leaders about building software at scale. And he's curious, how do y'all foster the community you have over the last few years around Acquired? You've mentioned the Slack community. You might want to explain that a little bit, but also I'm sure it's broader than just that. Yeah, I think the the most important thing is what Ben said, which is you get the community and listeners and the behavior you ask for and the model that you set for that is what people follow. I don't think we have ever had a trolling or abuse problem in our community. Maybe occasionally on Twitter something will happen. Not not maliciously. There's some spam. Yeah, but in the Slack community... Never. And we have 12,000 people in there now. (laughs) So I think it was just modeling that behavior. Like if you're Barstool Sports, you're going to get a rowdy community. (laughs) If you're acquired, you're not. (laughs) There are also ways to grow audience quickly, which feel like a smash and grab job. Like you can spike your Twitter following by saying something super controversial and deciding that like you're going to make yourself the martyr of the moment about some issue. And like a lot of people do that. A lot of people succeed in that. But it has the cost long term of attracting trolls. And I think like as long as you're willing to like not grab at easy growth and and do that stuff, which never has felt authentic to either of us personally, then it it makes large scale community more sustainable. 
specifically about the question asked of how do you foster that, David, you've been really good about being diligent at identifying people who have made connections in the community and then highlighting and celebrating that. So like when founders meet in the Slack or on an LP call or surfacing, hey, this company is looking to hire these three key roles and we like put it in the email that we send out when that person has been very participatory in the community. It's the general like platform rule of trying to create way, way, way more value than you capture. So for folks who haven't listened to Acquired, try to summarize a little bit, right? That like long episodes and like one to, I don't know, seven hours, depending. Really in-depth research into... We are the hardcore companies. history of technology. Yes, that's okay. That's better, right? Like you're just, you guys are really good at the internet too. You go and find like New Peloton CEO's YouTube that has 1,400 views, whatever. What is your secret to all this research? And also how good are you? Like, There's this amazing startup it's really awesome. It's going to change the world. It's called Google. <laughs> but like, seriously, that's like, you would be But everyone amazed. else has Google. But people don't but use it. But not everybody else uses it. Mm. People don't scope with date operators. So like, if we want to get a feel <laughs> for like... This is the good stuff. <laughs> in 2014, what was the media narrative around Facebook at time of IPO, which is like 100% different than today or even six months ago? Like, you can scope to search to make sure you're only getting results from a certain date. And absent doing that, you're never going to find those articles because good luck searching Google or searching any website for like Facebook earnings announcement or like, is Facebook going to be successful? Like you'll never find it unless you're specifically looking at certain dates. So that's like one example. David's favorite one is industry conferences on YouTube. When you're doing research on say, uh, say alumni Brave, Zoom interviews of your high school CEOs, high school uh, principals. <laughs> yeah. Like it's just, it's a common thing to Google that person's name and look for recent articles about them. But like, I think if you're doing willing to do like 5% more work than the large group of people you are pseudo competing with, most of the time that shows up as like 200% the product. Because I think most people sort of like stop in the same place, which is like, well, I read three or four recent articles. And if you're like, well, like, come on, there's got to be something from before. Like, let me look on different platforms. Let me see if there's an old Quora to talk about a customer, an old Quora answer, which are usually awesome. Or like a weird subreddit dedicated to the company where people are finding more unique stuff than we're finding. The internet's a big place, and I feel like we just have like 15 or 20 different little ways to search for stuff that's not right on the surface. So a bit of principle of like, do 5 to 10% more, and it actually pays off. Yeah, well, I think we, we have a secret weapon too, which is we publish 16 stories per year. We do interviews too, and that's much easier to, to prep for, but... You know, most other podcasts feel and canonical wisdom. People tell us Spotify told us the other day we need to be a weekly podcast. Like that is the accepted behavior. We're like, that's not our advantage as being a, you know, 16 times a year podcast. And that gives us the time to do 20 Google hits instead of three. 16 episodes a year. But I imagine you're practicing kind of what you do constantly. Like, how do you practice acquired without quote unquote, doing acquired? Like what is all the other stuff you do? So we almost never like rehearse episodes, but we will can episodes if they're feeling bad. So like we've had one that we've never released. We had an interview that we got halfway through and bagged it and said, hey, can we come back another day? It's just not working. Which was it TSMC or Standard Oil? Standard recently? Oil part. We got an hour and a half in and we both just were like, can we start over in three hours? So there's sort of like 
because we're not never a live show, we always can be treating the real thing as if it's a rehearsal and we can throw it away if we want, which I think is helpful. The other answer is the way we practice is is we play, you know, we, we only do 16 episodes a year, but then we do the interviews and then we do the LP show. So we are publishing 50 times a year. We're doing this every week, but the, the big stories are not as frequent. There's also like something to collecting super fans in the right places. Like Christina, if we ever are curious about anything in, in security or security broadly, like rather than us spending four hours to orient ourselves, like I probably would DM you in the Slack and say like, give me the three places I should start and help me find the narrative in here. Like where's the forest through the trees? And we ask like three or four people who should know, like we did that for Square and like the episode suddenly fell into place, like the narrative we were telling from a former employee that was like, we checked it with two or three other people. Then suddenly we were like, oh, this is the undertold real narrative behind what's interesting about this business. And I feel like that those shortcuts are huge too. Yeah. Asking for help. It's like in school, you're sort of trained. You can't, you know, ask for help on your homework. And in real life, like all the time, ask all the time. Yeah. Such a great point. Yeah. Cool. Okay. One more podcast question, at least from me. Lots of people start podcasts, maybe after drinks at a bar. Most of them do not go for seven years and seven hour episodes and all of that. What makes y'all different? I think we just actually like it. Like, the numbers are fun to look at in the analytics afterwards. And like now I'm, of course, like any other person running any business, like hooked on the dopamine hit of like, all right, had to do. Let's let's open it up and see. Like I will never profess to be one of those people that's like, oh, I don't look at the analytics. Like I look a, a lot <laughs> at the analytics. At the analytics. <laughs> and David, and like um, if you look through our iMessage history, it's like all these screenshots of like, okay, well, I made another spreadsheet and then I graphed it this way. And like if you think about it, here's that. So, anyway, that aside, I think it's like we actually are completely obsessed. And we found a thing that like, if we weren't doing acquired, I wouldn't have a reason to investigate quite as many things. But if you're like, you have four hours, here's a Wikipedia page to start on, go down the internet rabbit hole, I'd be like, there's no greater way that I'd like to spend my time than this. And I think that is not universally true. I think the other thing is like, we're we're actually really good friends. Like, <laughs> yeah. we, It's just like, I can't imagine, I could never do this without you. Like, and doing it together is the most fun thing. Like we finished recording a five hour session for an episode and we're like, no bathroom breaks. We'll just go. <laughs> and like, we both get to the end and we're like, that was amazing. When are we doing the next one? <laughs> you know? Yeah. How early did you know this was like going to be a thing in your lives? Eight months ago. <laughs> Wait, really? I, I mean, that at all. <laughs> well, it just doesn't. It's the funny thing about only doubling per year in the first few years. It just doesn't feel meaningful by year four when we're like, okay, so we have like, 10 plus thousand listeners or whatever it was, teens of thousands. You're like, we're still not like in the top 50 even tech podcasts. And so it still feels recent to me where we're like, oh, there's a real. I'm, I'm curious too, actually, for you and, and, and Vanta and the company, like you guys were bootstrapped for a long time. We were bootstrapped too. We had no, you know, we're two person Washington State LLC. So we hadn't raised a bunch of money. There was no expectation that this was going to be a thing. And then we just kind of woke up one day and we were like, oh, it is. <laughs> what was your experience like with that? A little more constructed, honestly, is like the goal was always to make it a Vanta a thing and have it grow like this. And I think the early days it was a little bit of having worked in VC and seen how the incentives can get a little crosswise and how companies can kind of just like lose their center and be like, oh, we're doing well because shiny VC thinks we're doing well. And you're like, 
look, shiny VC's trying to do their job and it's probably a smart person, but like it doesn't matter what they think. Yep. And, and half so, the time, let's be honest, three quarters of the time, they really don't know what's going on. Like they try. <laughs> Everyone's trying. Everything is hard. General universe framework. It's this kind of a conscious, like, no, 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 like we're doing well. We're gonna believe that. We have the cash to sustain this. Why, why not? Right. And so kind of focusing mindset on that was like very conscious but the goal was always to grow very quickly yeah i mean the kind of joke in the early days and it was something we were proud of and also like mortified by was like oh we just can't spend all of our money like poor us <laughs> right and, it was and then a, you're like actually that's not funny anymore yeah, it's like, <laughs> not funny at all you know and it, it's this like cute line that like vcs get excited about but then if they really think about it they're like well they're probably just not investing as they should <laughs> like, <laughs> it's not, they're not running the business well <laughs> that is also true and you know there are counter examples to us too like they're podcast podcast companies out there they've raised a lot of money mm. raised large funds you know like uh, yeah like, when's your spotify deal coming uh <laughs> well we we don't have a a rogan style deal <laughs> but we did just do a big partnership with them at the beginning of this season for video which is amazing spotify has been like so so good to work with the video product is really cool like for anybody who spotify is your main podcast player when you listen to us, when you listen to All In, when you listen to This Week in Startups and a few other pods, video will pop up and then it's synced. Like this is really hard to do on the back end. So like you can watch the video for a while, stop, go for a walk, listen to the audio and it all stays synced versus like we used to post video on YouTube and like, oh, I could watch on YouTube. But then if I want to go for a walk, like, you know, anyway, it's cool. Do you have any vaccine tips for us? That's on the subject of Joe Rogan and Spotify. <laughs> no, you don't have to answer that. No comment. <laughs> um, Okay, I'm going to ask one or two more, and then we'll turn it over to audience questions and Bantam questions. Let me start with the spicy one. So you're known for grading companies in your episodes. You're sitting at a company. Curious if we could grade Vanta based on what you know about us. Maybe. Uh, well, we have the oh. best. We have an out, uh, which is we, we just turned the question around. For, for companies that like... We can't grade Vanta yet. Like, we don't know what's going to happen. Maybe, so we like, put it back how, on the founder. How would we grade <laughs> yeah, Vanta, though? This or is like, actually a good... Yeah, or like, what would an A-plus outcome look uh, like versus a solid B? So my, or a gentleman's B? Like, all right, so we have the great, great benefit of, at this point, mostly getting to pick the sponsors that we work with, which is like... I can tell because I get pinged by people who ask me about the sponsorship all the time. Oh, really? Yeah. It's, I, do I that, mean, yeah. in part, like the, the spots that you did contribute greatly to that because it tells a, a pretty fascinating story about why you should be interested in compliance and security and dot, 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 Vanta. But I actually think it has a lot to do with the nature of the format and the way that you handled it. But all this to say, we get a lot of cold email about hey, so-and-so wants a sponsor. And we kind of analyze the business to decide, like, should we? Because our goal is to build long-term relationships with companies that we feel like our audience being lots of founders and technical folks, like, is it going to work out for them? And we want, we need our sponsors to be successful in order for that to mean that we have a good business on our hands. And so when I was thinking about Vanta, I was kind of looking at it and I was like, I don't totally understand yet how they price, but this thing feels uh, super, super sticky. And like once you get a certain certification, I was like, again, knowing very little about the industry, I was like, I, I think you kind of need it forever because you start attracting customers that will start requiring it. And it seems really unlikely that someone would ever rip you out and put someone else in. I'm sure it happens. But I think the way I would analyze it would be like, one, is it true that it's sticky, like really sticky? And then two, can you capture 
you know, an appropriate amount of value that you're creating over time. Because it's also one of these things where I could see people not understanding how valuable it will be for the customers they can attract by having a certain certification. And so they aren't willing to pony up, even though it makes tons and tons and tons of sense for them. So I pricing feels hard to me for your business. <laughs> yes, it is. We still price in the way we priced three years ago, which I, just, ah, I don't think so it serves like customers. I don't think it serves us. I think it's a tremendous opportunity for Vanta, truly. The other thing I would say real quick is we're actually working on like our favorite themes from seven years of Acquired. Uh, we're going to do a cool event around. But one of them is the Jeff Bezos saying when he launched AWS, which is the analogy to uh, German beer brewers in the 1800s when electricity was invented that we made you talk about. This is like our hobby horse. You know, and it's just so true with tech and startups. Like, don't, don't do stuff that doesn't make your beer taste better. Like, all that matters is your product. And Vanta is like, all of our partners, like, Vanta, Vouch, Modern Treasury, like you go down the list and like, this is just such a deep theme. It's, uh, it's crap that is not your core competency that you don't want to do. And if you could find someone to do it, that's like really, really, really good at it and set it and forget it. It's worth a lot of money like that. It's funny. We're actually thinking about, we're like, should we be on TikTok? And Dave and I sort of looked at each other and we're like, hello, other elder millennial. Like, <laughs> are, are we going to be effective at doing TikTok? Probably not. Is there someone who could help us with that? Yes. Should we pay good money for that? Yes. Like as long as you can find a outsource provider of something you view as non-core that set it and forget it, like you should always do that. Cool. Okay. Some questions that are in Slido that I'm going to read out for folks. Emmett, is there a podcast that doesn't exist today? What opportunities are there in the podcast landscape? The landscape is so different than when we started. You know, the other thing that we we got incredibly lucky with is we got featured in our first year by Pocket Cast, Apple, Spotify wasn't doing podcasts yet, but that was amazingly beneficial. That game's done. <laughs> like uh, it used to be that if Apple featured you, that would make your podcast. It was like my first app. Like I yeah. got twenty thousand downloads a day when I shipped an app in two thousand nine. Exactly because like oh my getting, god, you shipped an app. Thank God. Let's feature them in the app store. Exactly getting featured in, in the app store. And some people have taken that as like, well, this game is done. You can't break through but you can break through <laughs> like all in has broken through. <laughs> um, and so I, I think the, well, I can't, I don't have a specific answer of something I want. I think the more different you are, the better. And like the less you adhere to rules of like, must be weekly, must be an interview based podcast, must be X, must be Y, like break all of those rules <laughs> because the more different you are in a sea of two and a half million podcasts, the better. I don't know, because I don't, like in the Peter Thiel parlance, like I don't have a secret here that is exploitable. But I would say the framework for the secret is probably, is there something that's shrouded in mystery where if you're thinking about starting a podcast, you have unique access to be able to to unshroud that. Like to go back to the all-in example, it's like, hey, check out some billionaires talking publicly about their private jets instead of trying to be as sort of like veiled as possible about it. Like that's catnip for so many people to be like, okay, I'll listen to this. This is crazy. And they're, and they're giving hot takes about the world. I'm in. And I think the question is like, what other things right now are either not well understood because they're just difficult to understand and you can uniquely be good at explaining them on a show or like you have a unique position to be like, F it. I'm like, you know, this is how it really is. Yeah. yeah. Security and compliance. All goes back there. there you go. No, You sort of mentioned this with your seven year wrap up, but Tina was curious how the podcast has changed your perspective on startups, like things you used to believe about startups or tech companies you no longer do. Yeah, for me. So I started my career as an indie iOS developer, and I was pretty sure that 
I had such good product chops that I could make a better widget and that was a durable competitive advantage. Like if you would have asked me in 2012, I would have told you for sure, like that app sucks and I could design a better one. Then path will take over the, the world. People will see it. Exactly. Were you at USB when path was yeah, big? Yeah, and the bubblegum oh, bubble wow. UI. Wow. Bubble it's beautiful. Yeah. Oh, it had such a lasting impact on, yeah. on design too. For only 10,000 users. <laughs> but it inspired so much more yeah, to did, come after. Did. I mean, the Google floating yeah. action button feels derivative. And, yeah. and like what I guess doing acquired has shown me is that is in Hamilton Helmer's seven powers parlance, like during the takeoff phase of a business, a unique UI or better, whatever it is, user experience in some way, shape or form is a better way to sort of wedge into the market and make your presence known. But it's not a durable competitive advantage. Like strategy is a real thing. And all profits are arbitraged away eventually, unless you have something that makes it so other people can't compete with you quickly. That to me has been the big realization of like, okay, zoom out and don't look at in months, but look in years and decades, all profits will get competed away and less and figure out your unless. Otherwise, you know, enterprise value goes to zero because you're free cash flow negative or, or neutral. Our board member, Andrew at Sequoia, is like software recurring revenue of software businesses. It's just like the best business anyone has ever created. They're wonderful. The flip side of that is like competitive advantage is really real. And it's easier than ever to start a SaaS business. It's harder than ever to scale them and it's more expensive than ever to scale them. But I think Patrick from ProfitWell does this analysis showing like it used to be that you know, you had a reasonable way to break through as a vendor, but everyone now has 7,000 vendors for every single, there, there's some chart that got really, really packed. For me, it's trying to figure out the unless, like finish the sentence of why is it that people are going to have a hard time competing with us, either existing incumbents because they're too big and therefore X, or other startups because we've somehow closed the door behind us. And that, you know, sounds monopolistic to say, but like you do need to figure out how to create a big wake behind you such that it's difficult to do exactly what you're doing. And do you think the seven powers framework works for startups? The startup incumbent, right? Like that seems clearer, but in the age where there's 9,000 SaaS companies every day and UI can be copied and all of that... Can you Hamilton Helmer yourself? I there? think Hamilton Helmer and Seven Powers is very helpful for a company at Vanta's stage. Mm-hmm. I think Hamilton would probably be the first to say in the takeoff phase, it's about finding product market fit. That is a very different thing. And he would say, uh, we just did another episode with him that we're going to release soon. And you got two mountains to climb as a company and as a founder. The first mountain is product market fit. And then you, you know, naturally as a founder, you get there, you're like, oh, I've made it. This is great. I'm exhausted. Like, I want to relax for a <laughs> Everything bit. Everything rolls downhill now. Yeah. It's all easy. It's all easy. When I go to sleep, the company doesn't go to sleep. Right, right, right. <laughs> and feeling. that feels amazing. Yeah. And it should feel amazing. But like, your job is only half done. And you got a whole nother mountain to climb, which is like, okay, why, how are you going to build power? How are you going to build durability? How are you going to deal with new mm-hmm. entrants? And why are you not going to be path? Yep. How can you raise your price 10x all the time? Yeah, exactly. Totally. And it shows up in pricing power. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's very real. It's hard and it's like super different for every business. Yep. Reading the seven powers framework, to your point, will not tell you how to achieve power in your business. It'll help you, like you need creativity to mm-hmm. come up with the sort of like set of raw ideas that could create power in your business. But then I think it's the framework to help analyze, okay, which one of these is actually doable. Hmm. 
Yeah, I was going to ask, actually, so when you've seen people just, like, dive in well, they're reading the book, they're, like, using the framework, they're, like, brainstorming, like, what is the equivalent of, like, use Google's data operators for this? <laughs> for building power in your <laughs> yes. business? Oh, yeah. man. Gosh, if you knew, you should go back to being an investor. <laughs> <laughs> Easy question. Yeah, it's tricky. It's so easy in hindsight, right? Yeah. To to look and say, oh, yeah, Netflix adventure. has scale economies, and but like if you're Netflix eight years ago, how do you figure out like, you know, if we grow faster than anybody else and have more customers, then we can pay more for any given piece of content and therefore maintain our lead. I'm thinking back to the the interview we just recorded with Hamilton and his partner Chen Yi, who's awesome, a total rising star. One of the things that the thrust of what they said that I feels like as good a shortcut to me as any is making sure you're figuring out how you create more value for your customers, your ecosystem than you capture and make that sustainably grow. Like if you can do that, you'll get power. Right. It's not that lock-in comes from doing things that are user hostile. It comes from things that are growing the pie and grow your value and the customer's value such that they can't go get that value if they switch to an, an account. And like Netflix is a, is a beautiful example, right? Like the longer a period of time that Netflix exists, the more valuable it is to their customers regardless of anything changes you know and so like oh okay something like that i can't tell you what it is for your business but like if you can figure that out that's the path to power yep okay one last question i know we're slightly over so obviously folks need to drop you should drop but that creating more value than you're extracting and doing that continuously you mentioned that when you're talking about building the acquired community so our top voted question from rick in building that community, like what worked, what didn't, what fell flat? Again, so I'm going to go back to the search operators, but yeah. any specifics here? Empowering channel leaders was a thing that David asked me if we could do. And I was like, I don't know if we should do that. Like several ideas actually that David's asked me. I'm like skeptical of it first. And then we try it. Austin Federa leads the digital assets channel. It's like I don't know, 50% of the value of the acquired Slack is in the digital assets channel. It's people talking about crypto, sharing like things that you won't read about for two or three more weeks. And Austin runs marketing at Solana and was, I don't know, probably employee 20, something like that. Like Empowering like people within your community when they're passionate about something and running with it, I think is like the number one experiment that succeeded. I think any experiments that have failed have been things that were overly reliant on you and I to do all the work of creating it and that doesn't scale <laughs> and on an ongoing basis yeah be, because we are not a startup that is scaling with headcount like there are things that just atrophy without yeah, us paying attention yeah. to them us making an episode and releasing it in the podcast feed and on youtube and like that scales because that thing can us deliver value to dms without. as the community scales uh that that does does not sadly <laughs> excellent well thank you all so much for coming by entertaining the questions really nice to have you oh, this is um, such a joy and for folks who are in the san francisco office we're all going to stick around for lunch. So please come out for that. And otherwise, for folks who are on Zoom, thank you so much. Happy All Hands. Happy Wednesday. See you all on Slack. Thanks, Vantons.